welcome to the AFL Ratings Podcast, Round 5 Wrap. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. I would like to welcome in co-host Aaron Bryans, and we are at the finish of Gather Round. How did you go? Yeah, it was an excellent weekend, Pete. Uh, a lot of fun to, to be the hub of football for a weekend, and just incredibly successful. I mean, we, we got halfway through the weekend, and there was instantly a feeling that, that Adelaide was going to be the home for the next few years, and, and how are they going to possibly achieve what they had done again if they moved it elsewhere and now it's locked in for the next three years so it's a huge result I mean nine all nine games sold out uh, most of them probably only had a, a thousand less than the actual full capacity uh, the the smaller games where we were taken on to Mount Barker and Norwood just had tremendous atmospheres uh, fans from all over the country had a chance to, to check in with some of the cheer squads and, and hear some of the stories and you know, the, not only the punters driving over from Melbourne, there were you know, people from out west, people from Queensland as well. It, it just brought everyone together. And even from a media perspective where, uh, you know, at times television doesn't travel a lot and um, even from a radio perspective, um, a lot of the Adelaide games can be quieter. Uh, it was a weekend where it was just buzzing. There was people everywhere. Uh, and at times the, the media centre was absolute chaos, but it was just so good to to see everybody within football together. I think the teams obviously really enjoyed it. The fact they could go do their open training sessions and get that grand final kind of build up atmosphere where all their fans got to watch them get ready for their game. It just had a bit of everything. It, it was, it was literally like a grand final weekend, but a whole round. So a lot of fun. Um, a lot of us are going to be resting up on Monday morning. <laughs> it's, it's been a very busy weekend, but um, I'm very glad that it, it worked as a concept. Yeah, I suspect year two of the Gather Round will be even better. Obviously, they'll be working groups and figure out what uh, the grounds and what other games and, you know, everything surrounding Gather Round can, can be done better. So I, I suspect year two is going to be uh, much better. And I think demand for tickets uh, would be much stronger in hotel rooms and, you know, obviously hospitality there as well. It's a big winner. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but, yeah, I think year two actually will be a better product. Yeah, 100%. I think from the ticket sales, there was, you know, over 8,000 from that west. I think there was something along the lines of um, about 100 international punters came over as well. So clearly a, a lot of the fans were still from within the SA region, but um, they got a ton from over east. And, and now that everyone knows how successful it's been, how much fun the weekend can be, that the scheduling really enables you to be able to get to if not all of the games, a large majority of them, uh, now people, I think there's going to be demand to be able to get over and, and try it again next year. So uh, everyone's seen the concept, understands how it works, and, and now we get to you know really throw it out there. And the hardest part's going to be the fixturing because it was completely accidental the way that it fell together. But this was a round that had so much context in the state of the overall season and teams who were around each other on the ladder. Um, I'm not sure we ever get a draw that, that comes together as, as brilliantly as this one has. And it was just pure luck at the end of the day, which almost added to the enjoyment of the whole weekend. Well, you covered three games for ABC Radio. Uh, we'll go through those in order and also a fantasy wrap of those. And we'll touch on some notable fantasy scores from round five as well. So let's get into it. The first game we covered was Adelaide versus Carlton. And Adelaide just blew Carlton away in quarter one with a stronger and faster midfield. Yeah, it was an unbelievable result. I spoke to a lot of uh, people within the Crows camp in the build-up, and, and obviously there was this excitement that for the last three years, Adelaide has obviously been going through a rebuild, and there wasn't a lot of expectation on them. And it felt like Thursday night was the first time in a long time that Adelaide not only, I guess, went in as an equal competitor against the top-tier side, but there was almost this anticipation that 
they could get over the line maybe in a close game against the Blues. And it just completely threw out the script. I mean, Adelaide arrived on the biggest stage. That They showed that they are ready to compete once again with the best. The Blues, uh, there had been questions about them in the first five rounds, obviously unbeaten, but felt like they hadn't hit their best yet. And they were exposed a little bit on Thursday night. Adelaide's contested footy has been the brand they've been trying to build for the past few years. They struggled a little bit to show it consistently in the first two weeks, and now it's fully developed. I mean, Carlton's midfield had Walsh, Kennedy, Akers coming back into it. Walsh was their best in his first game of the year, and obviously from a, a, a back complaint, you want to make sure that you're, you're taking your time to, to build into it, which it almost shows that Carlton a little bit isn't clicking. Patrick Cripps hasn't really dominated the way that he normally does. And Adelaide's young midfield completely rolled them. Jordan Dawson in there has been a revelation over the past fortnight. So it's clear that when they started the year, they needed to make sure their back six was settled until he came out of there. And now he has to be an inside midfielder for the rest of the year because clearly with him in there, it leads to success. And the, the talk around town, obviously, is Mason Redmond's out of contract at the end of the year. Could they bring him over to Adelaide as the last piece and then Dawson can definitely spend the majority of his time in the middle. But I think for the rest of the year, we're going to be seeing a lot of CBAs for him because he's the key to success. I mean, they've got one of the best forward lines in the competition at the moment. It's absolutely rolling. And now the midfielder, for a long period of time, didn't have a superstar in it, and they found one in what was generally a half-back player. Yeah, certainly the dynamic has changed for Adelaide inside midfield. Interesting to see what it does for, for the likes of Schoenberg, and then you get Saligo, his time in there, Sloan, how, how often does he go in there? But Sam Berry, you know, how does he get back into that team? And obviously Matt Krause is way on the out of at Adelaide in that midfield. But, yeah, certainly changed the dynamic in that Adelaide midfield, and they are clicking, and they are building quite nicely. So let's move on to the second game you covered over the weekend. And that was Port Adelaide versus Western Bulldogs. So obviously wet conditions hampered this game throughout and Port Adelaide climbed back into that game and won late. Yeah, it was an absolute scrap. And it, it's a hard one to analyse what it means for both teams because both of them, you know, headed into the game two and two. They'd shown signs of being a finalist. And because of the wet weather, we didn't really get to see either's full potential. Port Adelaide got over the line purely because of an incredible last quarter where Todd Marshall and Jason Con Francis stood up. Zach Butters is back to his best, which is great to see. He had the AC joint injury in the preseason and clearly has been building back to his best. Spoke to Josh Carr in the pregame about Ollie Wines, who was averaging about 22 per game, which is still a high amount of disposals, but for his standards, he's usually a 30s player. And he said the same thing, that he was a little underdone after the off-season injuries and was slowly building. And, and he had a ripping game as well. So it does feel like Port Adelaide maybe is starting to click a little bit. And I thought the Bulldogs were incredibly impressive as well, to be honest, um, especially in the first half. Marcus Bontempelli, after how important he was against Richmond, had 10 clearances in the first half and, and basically got shut down by Willem Drew in the second. Jeremy Finlayson, as a ruckman, worked the, the move to uh, basically sub out Scott Lysett was a masterstroke by Ken Hinckley because they won the majority of clearances after that. But there wasn't a lot that... I saw that was wrong about the dogs. I think Jackson Johannesson back at half-back seems to be a huge win. Tim English is great in the ruck. Cody Waitman returning from his adductor injury looked like he'd never left. So uh, I actually walked away from the game thinking maybe we saw two sides who were just starting to click and, and Port Adelaide were just the better in the wet because purely they just stood up when it mattered. But uh, I don't think it means the dogs at two and three have much to worry about. And for Port Adelaide... They've still got a fair few questions to answer, which unfortunately we probably won't know for a while because they've got West Coast coming up this weekend. So 
they should win that game, and, and then hopefully we start to see whether or not they're actually a proper top eight side. Uh, they've showed glimpses of it, and and I just want to see them at least be competitive against the top four team. Yeah, that was a highly competitive game from both teams, and yeah, uh, Port Adelaide just getting over the line late. A huge last quarter by Jason Horn Francis, which is great to see. And uh, yeah, Bont, uh, Drew going to Bont was a, a pretty good move, and yeah, I, I, I do agree that the sub out of Lysette actually worked and provided a dynamic uh, situation in that ruck, ruck for Port Adelaide. So yeah, some good moves. Uh, probably a good coaching night from Ken Hinckley. So let's move on to the third game here. And the one that you covered today, and that was GWS Giants versus Hawthorne. And it was a thrilling mark by Harry Himmelberg at the end and the, the Giants getting over late in this game. Yeah, almost ended up the, the game of the round, which I don't think anyone expected. It was the only one that was actually uh, sandwiched between two others and had a crossover. So it was almost buried beneath the other eight games and it ended up being uh, a really good show. I, I've got to say off the top, firstly, for Hawthorne, I understand that it's it's frustrating that they lost, but... I was really impressed. They're a young side, and I'm obviously doing my research in the build-up. Um, there's not a lot that you can pump up about this team. There, there are a lot of names that haven't accomplished a lot yet. There's a lot of young players that are maybe going to be something but haven't shown you know, massive glimpses. And, and what I saw this afternoon uh, against the Giants was a really hungry midfield. And um, statistically, they're one of the best set-of-bounce teams in the in the game right now, which is surprising. And, and um, I was very impressed by what they put out there, considering they don't have superstar names. I mean, James Warple had 35, John Newcomb 31. You've got a guy who got picked up in the mid-season draft and another who spent two years barely making the 22. So um, I, I thought they had a lot to offer. And, you know, there's going to be some games where they have, you know, ugly margins like the Geelong game last week. But for a... I guess a second year of their rebuild, you could say that they're heading in the right direction. And for the Giants, it's a funny one. Like, yeah, Himmelberg was was the hero in the end. I mean, the, the game-saving goal that put them up with the, with that great mark. And then at the other end, you know, it was um, it was uh, the the goal attempt there. But for the Hawks, I think it was MPU who went from 55, and then Himmelberg's the one at the back of the pack who gets yeah. his fingers to it and makes sure that they don't go ahead. So. That, and that's the, the funny old part about Harry Immelberg is he's always been that kind of swingman. And he did that in the dying stages to win them the game in, in both formats. So in, in terms of the team overall, I wasn't overly impressed. Again, you look at the names in this side and I understand that there's some youth in there, but I feel like they should be a better team than they are, GWS. And to get up by two, they were really wasteful in front of goal at times. Uh, their average losing margin over the past few weeks is only 14 points, but most of the teams they've played have been inefficient. Cornelio was a ripper. Toby Green is a ripper, but again, he's he's pushing towards 30. Um, Tom Green is going to be a star. Uh, yeah, just something about it. With, with all the names in them, they should be much better than they are, and I, I kind of expected them to, to have a big win over the Hawks, and they, they just got there in the end. <laughs> Yeah, Jesse Hogan quite wasteful in that last quarter as well. He had a couple of great opportunities to to kick goals and just miss those, which was disappointing. And just on Hawthorne's side, uh, they got some certainly some uh, high quality talent in you know pieces of the, of the next you know potential premiership puzzle in place already. And like obviously they got a couple of players out of that team yet to make their way in, and, and just one in particular is Josh Weddle. So once he comes into that team, he is an elite talent. So. That's definitely one I'm looking forward to seeing when he's fully healthy and in that Hawthorne team. But yeah, it's a, it's a young, talented list. 
Josh Ward will grow, uh, Cam McKenzie, you know, they're just managing him through the year, which is great, great to see from his point of view, not to burn him out really quickly, but they've got some really good pieces of the puzzle in place already. And, you know, a, a large core group uh, growing together, you know, obviously they can have uh, sustained success, and that's what Hawthorne uh, sort of pretty much pointing towards as well. Alrighty, so let's move on to some fantasy rep here from those three games. Adelaide versus Carlton first. And we go to Rory Lee, 118 points, uh, 11 kicks, 26 disposals. So, you know, at the contest, he's getting that ball out and that ball leaves his area. So that's where the weighted possession, you know, with those handballs is quite heavy. 100%. We've spoken about it the last few weeks about how his score can fluctuate so drastically because of the way that he uses the footy and the fact that they're almost a low-marking team now. So there isn't that opportunity with the way they run and gun for, for Rory Laird to be he's a high accumulator but not a high scorer because it generally he's he's the guy who gets the footy out of the middle and then gives it off to someone. He, he's not the one who takes a mark and then sends it inside 50. So uh, I was I was very impressed on Thursday night. I mean, Jordan Dawson being in there has helped him a lot. Uh, I think between the two of them, they're, they're winning a, a ton of footy. Um, Laird was able to get around the ground and, and lay a fair few tackles as well. So uh, I think we're still going to see some decent 120 scores from Rory across the year. There are going to be times where he pulls an 80 purely because he has maybe four tackles, he doesn't kick a goal, and he has 30 touches. Or he has his 35, but the majority of them are handballs. Like, if you break down his 118 on the weekends, he did a bit of everything, which is great, but that's not going to happen every week. But there's going to be a lot of coaches who still have him purely because of the injury carnage we've seen across the other, the other lines. So um, for those who held him, well done, because... I mean, he's probably set and forget now. He, he's lost enough of his money that you're not really making any more or, or you know, protecting yourself anymore by dropping him. So you're in for the ride now. Next one here, Jordan Dawson. So 133 points. And I feel like he left some points on the table, for me at least. Yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed. <laughs> Again, it's just in the guts now. He's winning it at the source. And I think the best part about his 133 was his tackles. You know, the nine... and and the majority of them were in the first half, really, when they took over. So um, that's a nice aspect to see, which we don't often rely on from Jordan. I mean, generally, because he's playing across halfback, he's getting a lot of his points from plus sixes. And now that he's in the guts, he's found another way to score, which is great. You know, he's clearly adaptable. So um, I started with Jordan. I'm very happy to have him there and, and never have to look at him again because he's clearly he's clearly going to be a winner and a top six defender so um you know he may even get dpp down the line considering the way that he's playing so um a great result next one here chase jones 108 points so he's getting a lot of ball on the outside which is good but he's also getting back inside d15 helping out there and he's you know he's cutting through um walls and zones and he's coming out the other side and he's playing with full confidence for me yeah this has taken me by surprise, to be honest, uh, I mentioned on, on the Saturday show that he just felt like a player who hadn't reached his potential as a first-round pick. And there was periods of last year where I just thought he was incredibly unimpactful. There was a possibility that maybe he'd end up being delisted. Um, you know, they made him play across half-back purely just to help him build his confidence and get his hand on the footy. But even then, he wasn't dominating. And I just thought, this guy maybe just doesn't have it. And I have no idea what has happened in the off-season. But... He, he's just jumped, and it's not even a small jump. It's not like you've just started to see his improvement. His past two games, he, he's been match-winning for them. And on the on Thursday night, I mean, 28 touches, nine marks, and a goal. And 
um, he was that link man up the wings. It was really impressive to see um, from a fantasy perspective. Obviously, a great score with 108 off, his, off the back of his his 80. So you know his break even is going to be tremendously low heading into next week. He was 36 heading into this round and dropped to 108. So he's probably going to end up around 450, 460. Um, so maybe he's worth it as a mid-price value option. Um, I can't see him falling out of this side the way that he's playing. So um, he could be a little cash gem boost if you you know have the luxury of of getting him in. I, w- I would have said before today maybe uh, a James Walpole to Chase Jones would have been the go, but then you know Walpole has a big game himself. So <laughs> I'm not sure how you get there. Maybe maybe uh, you look at a Hollands and say he's peaked, and if you can get him up to Jones, you can keep the cash gen flowing. But um, yeah, he. He looks tremendous. I think he's going to be yeah, a pretty solid player that, that should at least finish his average in the 70s. The middle game that you did, Port Adelaide versus Western Bulldogs, fantasy wrap here. So Tim English, 123 points, and again dominated. The wet weather doesn't... He's not impacted by that. No, and it's... The part that impressed me the most is, is the way that he uh, tackles marking contests. Like, he's clearly getting around the ground, being almost an extra midfielder, but against Scott Lysett, especially in that first half, he, he was able to bully his way out of the one-on-one and, and take almost uncontested grabs because he's been able to get so much space. Like uh, he, Heading into the game, and I mean now after it, he was averaging 20 touches, 20 hit-outs. He accomplished that once again, a goal to his name. He's, he's doing a bit of everything, to be honest, and he, he's not a dominant tap ruckman purely because of how versatile he is, but he's just so reliable at the moment. He's, he's a bit of everywhere. Like You see him forward, you see him down back with his intercept marking, and then obviously he's in the middle of the source, accumulating points. And oh, I didn't start with him because I was worried about the injury concerns because he's never really had a healthy year. But everyone else around him has fallen over, and, and he's the only one left standing at these days. And he's hasn't gone under a hundred all year, so it's going to get harder and harder to get to him. Yeah, he's been absolutely awesome and all Australian ruck for me at this stage of the season. Alrighty, next one here, 110 points from Zach Butters. You mentioned him earlier in the podcast, but yeah, solid game from him. Yeah, he's one I'm actually looking at getting in this week, to be honest. I, I think he's, you know, he's leveled out now. He's going to make a little bit of money this week because his break even was about 100. So he had a really poor start to the year. I touched on it before. The, the AC joint injury clearly hindered him, and he's taken a few weeks to build up to his best. And we touched on it in the preseason that I thought he and Connor Rosie would be able to comfortably average 95 plus this year, and both were value picks up forward. Well, Butters has lost money. So he's at a point now where if we if we expect him to end up averaging 90 or even just from here on out averaging 90, um, he's tremendous value. So it's a bit of a gamble um, purely because there is, you know, so many midfielders and so little centre bounces to give to. But Port Adelaide, when they're at their best, especially as we saw in the third term against Brisbane round one and the fourth term this weekend against the Western Bulldogs. Butters, Rosie and Horn Francis are the best combination going forward. And I know that leaves Wines on the outer and, and he won't stay on the outer because he's a Brownlow medalist, but surely Zach Butters has to keep up his high centre bounce attendances because he's clearly increasing the speed with which they move the ball in the middle and he's helping them, you know, win the clearance numbers. So uh, I'm going to back him in. I think it's a, it's a bit of a gamble, but... He's a bit low risk these days, considering he's just dropped 110. His break-even should be pretty juicy. 108 points from Connor Rosie. It was a slow start to the game, but he got there in the end. Yeah, I think um, he's pretty reliable. I know. I think he dropped what it was a 69 last week. Yeah, but he's Port Adelaide's best player. Uh, I get that last week was a bit deflating for those, but premium forwards aren't exactly um, 
reliable in general these days. <laughs> you picking your top six hasn't been, you know, Josh Dunk, we had a bit of a, a mare for a couple of weeks and um, even Dylan Moore hasn't really achieved what we thought. So uh, I think if you have Connor, just don't worry about it. And he's going to have some weeks where he's a bit off. Um, he's not a captain by that material from a fantasy perspective, but um, I, I do really think he is Port Adelaide's best player and most weeks he's going to get 100. So he, he may have a couple of down ones every now and again when the team underperforms, but um, yeah, this is just a, a casual game for him, I think. 26 touches and six tackles, that, that's a kind of rosy kind of weekend. Jedi West Giants versus Hawthorne, the last game you did their fantasy rep here, and that's 119 points from John Newcomb. He was pretty awesome in the midfield for the Hawks. He was hungry. It was really impressive to see some of his tackles today. He took down Flynn quite comfortably, almost speared him out of the air and brought him to ground. It was a big thump. Um, he's only a little midfielder, but he's... You know, he looks like a, a Tom Liberatore in a way, the way that he plays. He, he certainly fights for the footy, gets around the ground, link man, but also high pressure. So, yeah, I, I was very impressed by by Joe Newcomb. Uh, another one that I was hesitant to get onto heading into the season, he, he had some good scores last year and showed that maybe he could be like a 90-plus player on average. Um, the, the mid-season draft thing always threw me. I always think players that get picked up in mid-season drafts, there's a reason why you weren't originally drafted. And I wasn't sure if he'd be able to to get to that premium midfielder level. And, um, you know, he's had some off games this year. He's had some others where he's shown it. So he's a bit of, you know, high risk, high reward, to be honest. And um, for his price, he's just really awkward. Uh, I think he's probably more of a, you know, draft keeper kind of player rather than a classic player. Yeah, Sam Mitchell, senior coach for the Hawks, said this week they were trying to find the right balance for Newcomb. Uh, and with Will Day, you know, obviously opened up some um, pretty big opportunities in that midfield there this week. So they're obviously heavy midfield usage for Newcomb this week. And another player there along those same lines was James Warple, 114 points. No Will Day opportunities in that midfield there. He had a pretty awesome game. Yeah, I think you've nailed it there that he just seemed to disappear a bit as Will Day grew. <laughs> he started so strong and then Will Day, you know, his centre bounce appearances increased and he was the guy that, was almost not even just their link man, but starting a lot of their handball chains and winning it at the source. He was always the guy in there. He was the guy intercept marking as well. He'd set up the wall once they went inside 50. Will Day, I mean, I held him because I was just purely so impressed by how he was playing. He felt like Hawthorne's best midfielder. Um, and Warpool clearly has just slotted into that role across the weekend, which is great for anyone that still had him because obviously he felt like he'd kind of peaked with his break even and we weren't going to get a lot more out of him. So... Um, he's going to be a nice little extra bit of coin to come your way. Um, I mean, I moved on from him, so it's a bit frustrating. But, um, uh, yeah, at some point we're going to have to all move James Warple out because he's not going to be delivering 114 every week. But um, you might as well hold him for another until Will Day comes back and then wait and see. Uh, Josh Kelly, the attention today, but 115 points from Stephen Canelio, and he got there in the end. Yeah, Canelio was electric. I mean, he, he almost set up... The Harry Himmelberg mark at the end. He, he, you know, former skipper, but clearly is a senior leader without that burden now, um, and is getting heavy midfield minutes. So, you know, the the DPP action of the years prior, floating forward, and you know, getting lost in the shuffle with Taranto there is gone. He's pretty much at every centre bounce when he's on the field, and um, yeah, racked it up today. He was everywhere and at the bottom of a lot of packs, but also the one applying a lot of tackles. To, to kickstart, you know, ball ups. So 
it was a very well-rounded performance, and it could have been higher, to be honest. He, he was scoring off the chops in the opening term, and, and I was... And my classic opponent this week had him, and I was getting a bit panicky because I just thought he was he was going so well, and he did slow down a little bit, but you know, one fifteen, he'd be very happy with that. Let's close out the podcast with a few notable scores from round five fantasy. So first up, we've talked about him over the pods the last couple of weeks. Calibus wrong, one twenty five points, just smashing it out. Yeah, I saw him at Norwood on Friday, and um, he, he's he's the best midfielder right now, which is funny because you know Andrew Brayshaw is in there, but. He's, um, I got the chance to speak to him post game, very mature, which is, you know, he's still a kid, but he, he clearly has this great game sense. He's filling that void that Nat Fife left, you know, Fife will obviously play forward now and they're still probably looking for that third. I think it's Will Brody, but, but Caleb's the wrong, yeah, as we mentioned before, in the years prior, almost felt like he'd have a couple of big scores and then drop back to his eighties again. And now he's consistently elite. And, and I'd argue he's in all Australian contention the way that he's playing. Like he is the glue that's holding Fremantle together. He plays almost like a Scott Pendlebury at times. He's just so mature for his age and composed that there are times where he could easily just panic kick it forward and he looks around and finds options. And he always seems to have this tremendous amount of space. So, um, I really like him, to be honest. I think the way that he's progressing, he could be a top-eight midfielder. But at some point, surely Andrew Brayshaw has to come back to the party, and, and I'm not sure how that impacts him. Yeah, interesting last week, uh, Ryan Daniels, uh, Seven Perth, that he uh, questioned Justin Longmuir on on Channel 7 and asked him about a, a potential injury. And Justin Longmuir said he was closing in back to 100%. So there must have been some sort of uh, injury concern or niggle there, uh, especially when, you you know, if he's at 100%, well, then clearly he's at 100%. I understand players deal with things throughout the season, but, you know, if he wasn't there, that might um, be a little bit of a reason why he's just that little bit off. And just on um, Will Brody coming in to that team, you just mentioned him um Previously, is that uh, he was quite critical in moments in that game. So obviously came on for an early sub and very critical in that game and, and in a close win for Fremantle. So let's move on to the next one. Sean Darcy in that ruck, same game. He was awesome. Very impressed. I mean, it was against Ned Moyle, who, um, you know, we, we have to put a disclaimer that he's, you know, a second gamer. But Moyle's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Finally seeing him in person, I, I couldn't believe how tall he was. Um, and Darcy, yeah, made light work of him. And the best part as well is he's floating forward. He's taking nice contested marks, kicking goals. So Sean Darcy is another one like Tim English who's had a, a history of, you know, injuries popping up at annoying times for fantasy footballers. He, he always seems to have, you know, foot problems. And a lot of that I think is just because of his build. He's just a large lad. Um, but he looks a little slimmer. Um, and, he, and he's still got the body work there, which is great. So, Again, we, we talk about the ruck roulette that seems to happen this year. Um, Darcy and English feel like the two that if you started with, you, you'd be very happy with. Next one here, Lockie Neal, 116 points, so 37 disposals. Uh, and they pretty much got off the chain, uh, Brisbane mids, and obviously they were running to the races uh, from quarter time onwards and obviously blew out the kangaroos. But 116 points for Neal is pretty awesome. Yeah, it does help playing the ruse for sure. But um, I think we've been waiting for Lockie Neal to return to his best. And it was just a matter of, you know, how much value was he going to drop before he got there because he's already lost over 100000 So if you have the opportunity to do a massive upgrade this week, you know, maybe this is the time to get on Lockie Neal. They've got the Giants, Fremantle and Carlton to come. I feel like he's going to score pretty well against those three. So, um, yeah, 
mean, he was everywhere against North Melbourne. Um, it, it helps, obviously, the quality of the opponent. And, you know, Jai Simpkin getting injured meant that the Brisbane Lions basically dominated inside the actual midfield. But, um, yeah, Lockie Neal, I think, I think he's back now. It, it was a slow start to the, uh, um, you know, glimpses of greatness. But he and Dunkley obviously both under-delivered. And now, hopefully, he's back to his best. Next two plays here will wrap up together because Will Setterfield went to Clayton Oliver and he was exceptional in that role early and virtually eliminated Oliver from that contest. Uh, so uh, once Essendon got that game in, into their control and pretty much the result was known, you know, that, that tag or heavy shadow was lifted and Oliver just went nuts in that last quarter, which is quite scary because if he doesn't get a tag in any other game and similar to what that last quarter played out, he, he could just go ballistic in any game this year. And then the other end of that is Will Setterfield scores 100 points. And, you know, obviously his role was getting Oliver out of the way of that ball. And he did, again, an exceptional job. But he gets there with his score late as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I own both of them. So halftime was a little panicky because it, it didn't look like it was working. But... Um, Setterfield, as we've seen throughout the year, he, he's an incredible tackler, and, and that's where a large portion of his points have come from. He, he does accumulate the footy, but his tackles have certainly led to him getting 100-plus most weeks. So so that works. Even if he is a tagger to continue um, for the Bombers in weeks to come, I don't, I'm don't. i not too stressed about it. He's still making money. I still think he belongs in their best 22. Um, I mean, Zach Merritt's now suspended, so that gives him a bit more flexibility against Collingwood this coming weekend. Um, and to be honest, I wouldn't really be tagging anyone from the pies, so maybe that frees up uh, Will Setterfield a bit. And, yeah, Clayton Oliver, like t- to be able to reach 108 when you've basically been tagged out of the game for three quarters of it, um, we saw that again in round two. With, um, he got a bit of attention yeah. from the Brisbane Lions, and then ended up on 149. You know, he's the best fantasy player in the game. I've said this the last few weeks. Um, he, he's just a consistent, reliable midfielder who finds ways to score. And I think a lot of that's his tank. He's just all over the ground. He, he's constantly fighting for that second effort and trying to get... He's a little bit of a seagull at times, but he certainly runs to get to those positions and, and then, you know, begs for the footy and eventually gets it. So to, to get to 108 from where he was um, just is a testament to how good of a player he is. And you touch on a good point there, and that's his fitness, because he's got there in, in two games you mentioned, that Brisbane game when the lights went out, everyone came back on. So obviously there might have been a bit of fatigue sitting with other players, but not with Oliver. And that game against Essendon uh, on Saturday is, again, he got there late and he was running on top of that ground. So he must be at actually optimal uh, fitness right now. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and it's a bit of junk time as well, isn't it? I think he, he does like a cheeky plus six and, and getting on the scoreboard when the game is kind of dead. So, um, I mean, you know, from uh, a Melbourne Demons perspective, if you're a punter, you probably go, oh, mate, I'd love to see that for four quarters. But from a fantasy perspective, I go, great. You know, he's finding the footy when everyone else has stopped. So, um, yeah, just incredibly reliable. And funnily enough, I was just having a quick look. I mean, he, he may actually lose money this week purely because of how highly priced he is. He's, he's the most expensive player in the game by some margin. So maybe we, we finally hit the ceiling for his monetary value and, and people can start getting onto him. Next one here, Nick Dacos, 136 points against the Saints on Sunday. Yeah, obviously that halfback role, and he's just going to accumulate disposals left, right, and centre. Uh, and his ceiling, again, he'll be one of the top ranked uh, fantasy players this year for me. So his high ceiling is, you know, is quite elite. Yeah, it hasn't gone under 100. Like, massive. It's, it's incredible how well he's done. Um, you know, I was hesitant at the start of the year with the D2 spot, basically, just I wasn't sure about how it'd go with tags and. 
we've seen, yeah, multiple times across the year that he's been fine with that. And then St. Kilda just let him off the leash. <laughs> he was, yeah, everywhere. 136 for, for a season high. So he's, he's just getting better and better with that ceiling. And it's scary, you know, he's so young. He could be anything. Um, but it's, you know, very helpful. Collingwood obviously have a lot of prime time games. So he, he's the excellent BC loophole option for the rest of the year. Um, Unfortunate if you don't have him because he, he's just getting harder and harder to get as he pushes towards that Sam Doherty level of value down back. So um, he's probably the best premium defender in the game now with Jordan Dawson just behind him. And the last one we'll do here is Rowan Marshall, 134 points. So a pretty decent matchup against Billy Frampton early for Collingwood. So they changed up their ruck from Ash Johnson uh, last week to Billy Frampton. Dan McStay was uh, subdued in this game with a finger concern early. So, you know, it was a perfect situation for Rowan Marshall, and he scores 134 points. Yeah, he certainly capitalised. And, and the best part is he's got a good couple of weeks to come. So Carlton next week, who we know with the, the Pitternet and De Koning option, generally, you know, other opposing rucks get good scores on them. Port Adelaide, who may just be rolling with Finn Lackson, who doesn't jump anymore. He just plays as a midfielder, so there's a freak it out. Uh, North Melbourne, again, you know, Goldstein is is the only guy standing for them. So this is a nice, juicy run coming up for, for Rowan Marshall, who has been pretty solid. He hasn't, you know, set the world on fire until this weekend. So, uh, I mean, I'm an owner, and I was, you know, really hoping for a performance like this because we've seen in the past he, he can accumulate a lot of the footy around the ground when he's let off the leash, and he, he finally showed us what he can do once again because he, he felt like he was stuck around, you know, the bare minimum 100 mark. But, yeah, now he's ready to be a, a top-tier ruck and, and maybe compete with Sean Darcy for that R2 spot. Well, Aaron, well, hopefully you can rest up for the week after a huge gather round. So, but before you go, can you just let the listeners know where to find you this week? So you can find me at Aaron Bryans on Twitter. Uh, this weekend I'll be calling Port Adelaide and West Coast from the Adelaide Oval on Saturday. Uh, so looking forward to that one. Um, not a lot of storylines heading in, but for Port Adelaide, obviously, as the home side, fresh up a couple of wins, they'll be looking to build on their campaign in West Coast. Injury riddled. And what what can they turn up? Are we going to see some more debutants possibly? So um, I'll be calling that game on Saturday. And SA Grandstand on the weekend as well, um, it's looking very likely we'll be chatting to Tim Silvers and Chris Davies. So a, a good look into both how the Crows and the Power are, are building because uh, they've had some great wins over, over Gather Round. Good information coming out of your neck of the woods this week, that's for sure. And from afrratings.com.au, obviously a stack of information, AFR Ratings on Twitter and associated Twitter accounts there. And you can find me in AFR Ratings, Pete, on Twitter as well. Well, Aaron, you go rest up and we'll catch up with you at the end of round six. Easy. Thanks, mate.